You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you very much. It's an absolute treat to be back in Victoria, Melbourne. You guys still here? You still exist? I have had the privilege of coming back to Australia three or four times since that crazy disease hit this world. But I haven't been able to get back to Victoria, so I'm glad you're still here. I heard some stories. I live in the U.S., and they let me know, you see what happens when you give your guns away? Do you see? And, and I'm like, whoa, okay, I don't know what that means, but okay. So well done, Victoria. You're still here. You're still serving the Lord. You survived, and you thrived through the craziness of these seasons. Great to be with you. Thank you for the partnership. Thanks for giving up your day to be together with us. You didn't come here for me, and just so you know, I didn't come here for you. We came here for the King. And so if you've got any issues today, give it to him, not to me. But I do want to just say it's a privilege to come and just hang out with you, to share, to have the opportunity of just kind of bringing us back to some of the things that matter most. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, make no apologies, but uh, we, we don't believe in titles. And so someone said to me recently, Tyron, I know that we don't believe in titles, but if we did, I'm like, whoa, I get nervous. And they said, well, I, I have a title for you. I said, well, what is it? They said, you are our CRO. So I'm thinking, gee, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. What can you explain a little more? They said, your job is you're the chief reminding officer. <laughs> and I'm not sure how to take that, but I'll take that in the best light I can. And I make no apologies in that sense that actually God is doing a new thing, but the new thing he's doing is bringing us back to what he's always been doing. And that's not cliche, that's reality. And for me, I, I want to just remind us over these next few hours together that, that, that honestly, we're not coming up with a new thing and the next thing. We're coming back to God's thing. And that's easier said than done. I love what we've sung. I love that we've honored Jesus. How many of you know He, God favors the people that make much of Jesus? You cannot earn God's favor, but He does favor a people who honor His, His Son. He made it that way. And I've loved that we've sang about Jesus, there's no question. But how many of you know, it's cool to sing about Him, but how many of you know to follow Him and do what He says is very different? I'm, I'm convinced that when we surrender to Him, it releases His presence in us. And it would seem that's what some of us need to be doing this morning, surrendering afresh to release His presence in us. But can I also say that when we not only surrender to Him does it release His presence in us, but when we obey Him, it releases His presence through us. And so it's about surrendering to have His presence in us, but obedience to have His presence through us. It's in us and through us, not just about us. It's about Him ministering into us, over us, so we can go minister to the world and reach the people around us. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you, please, to turn in it to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew, the 16th chapter. And uh, while you're turning there, I, I want to just highlight two verses out of 1 Corinthians 16. Turn to Matthew, six, uh, Matthew 16. But I, I want to highlight. I don't ask you to turn everywhere, otherwise we'll never get anywhere. But, but 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14, from the message, it's been one of almost a mantra if I could say like that for me over this crazy season of COVID and the stuff we've all had to kind of walk through. Uh, and it simply says this, it's Paul writing and he says in, and I'm using the message version, so I probably just lost half of you, but stay with me. It's okay. There's no, 
I don't, you know, just, there's no exact translation anyway. So if you want to get old King James on me, that's cool. I'm not mocking. I, I've been taught there's one and it's the closest. But you know, I've also been taught by those same, same people now, actually read around, look at all, because you want more than just the direct or you want to know the heartbeat. And so I would dare challenge some of you well scholars, get scholared in all. Not to find what backs your, 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 what you're doing, but to find what God was trying to say, is saying. Anyway, if I've lost you, please stay. First Corinthians 16, verse 13. I don't read it. I'm reading it to you out of the message. This is what he says. He says, keep your eyes open. Now, we could spend the next hour talking about that. And I would love to because I think that's one of the most important things we God's people should be doing is keeping our eyes open, not to what we're doing, to what God's doing. See, I think we're really good, to be honest, at seeing what the world's doing and know how to counter it. So it's what they're doing and what we're doing, but there's a third element. What's God doing? If I can be brave enough to say, maybe we're not that good at seeing what God's doing because we're so busy seeing what the world's doing and seeing what we're doing. And I believe part of keep your eyes open, your spiritual eye, we need clarity like never before. Clarity. Is there clarity in all the confusion? Keep your eyes open, clarity. Hold tight to your convictions. <laughs> it would seem globally we the church are losing conviction. And I'm not there to talk about them, I'm there to talk to us, me, you, in this room, where you're at with your convictions. It's almost like we've let conviction go in order to try and reach more people. And Paul's saying, hold tight to your convictions. You see, beliefs hold on to us. We, we hold on to our beliefs, but convictions hold on to us. And what I have found, and I can't stay there, I'm just going to throw it out and go and see it for yourself. But, but what I have found is that circumstances often change what we believe. That's a belief, not a conviction. We almost adjust what we believe through the circumstances we face. And I, I'm just saying we as God's people, as the church, must come back to holding tight to the convictions God's given us from His Word. The season upon us requires leadership and His people to hold true to what we believe. We're not anti-anything. We're for everything that God's called us to. And so we've got to stand for, not stand against everything. And Jesus didn't walk around standing against stuff. Read the, the, uh, the Gospels. Jesus stood for things. And it seems that we either anti or we're just silent. I'm not saying get in the political arena. I'm from America, so I know what that's like. I'm saying to you this morning, friend, best you hold tight to your convictions. Don't lose your convictions. The generations behind us, I have two of our three sons in this room. My other one decided to actually obey the word of God and move to Africa. And I'm devastated that he would dare actually go to the nations. But hey, it's, I remember saying to my sons, listen, this is for everyone else's kids, not mine, okay? When I, and they say, we sit in meetings and you preach, go, and we're going. I'm like, yeah, but not you, everyone else. It's awesome when it's someone else's kid. And then it's your kid. Not so cool. 
Now I'm praying for the return of Jesus quickly. But anyway. But I am asking you, please, are you holding on to your conviction? The church has to stay true to our call, friend. I could stay a long time on this, but I'm watching us become, can I be honest, woke. I know that's a funny word. In a way. It's, it's not in our nation. It's in the church. In the church in Victoria. We woke. We're buying into the game rather than standing on the truth. And it might mean, if I can be bold enough to say, we don't get everyone. We don't gather everyone. Not everyone will come. It's okay. We got to stay true. Jesus was true to his call even when people walked away. And I look at my sons and go, they're children's children's children. We're building for them. So here's the deal. What's gonna, what are we going to hand them if we're silent on everything? What are we going to hand them what are they going to inherit if we're not holding to convictions? There's got to be some things that we contend for and say this is true and doesn't matter who likes it, whether the church, whether our nation, whether the city, whether the region, it doesn't matter who likes it because half the stuff I'm sharing, I don't like. <laughs> but it's not who likes it. Stay true to your convictions. Then he says, give it all you've got. Give it all you've got means being committed. And oh, you committed. You came here on a Saturday. That's a big price. Man, it's a lot more than coming together on a Saturday. We need to give this all we've got. And then he says, be resolute. That's admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering. That means being consistent. We've got to be consistent. Not up and down like Melbourne weather consistent. Sorry, I'm just saying, I can't say that. Apparently it's warm. It's not that, anyway. And love, and love, and love without stopping. Care. Like, I, I think the season we've all gone through has, many people care less than they've ever cared. Even pastors and leaders in the church. I've had guys literally say to me, in their honesty, I don't care anymore. My Bible says we should care more. Now, it's not the care of the world. It's the, care, the call of God, the love without stopping. Have you stopped loving? Have you been so overwhelmed and disappointed by all that's going on that you care less and couldn't care anymore? Well, the Bible says care more. Yeah. And it's not something you put on. It's something you get when you connect with the one who cares for it all. And the Bible says cast your cares on him, your anxiety on him because he cares. Anyway, that was for free. This will cost. So remember that this, in all these things, we're in partnership with God. Let that ring in your ears. That, that, that's not just about who's in this room today, which is so awesome to have this partnership. But this partnership makes no sense if we don't have this partnership. And I've watched guys contend for this at the expense of this, but this makes no sense. It's not necessary if we're not walking in this. So you're in partnership with God and say, so His 99.999% and our 0.00001% makes up 100%. Your partnership with Him matters, even if you think it's insignificant. It's not 100% till we're all in partnering with Him. He requires all in. We're about His purpose. I'm going to be cautious, which I don't know how to be, but I'm going to try because I, I stood on these shores. This, this stage in 2020, February, literally, 
And I made all these incredible declarations of what 2020 was going to be. And some of you dared text me and said, what happened? And I, and I said, I believe it's going to be a season of release. Remember that? Oh, yes, you do. Some of you are like, hey, where I've claimed, well, I never claimed to be a prophet. But I stood here, I said, I believe 2020 is a season of release. I flew back to the U.S., the whole world shut down. And you really shut down. And I had a couple of guys text me and say, mm, how's that release looking? Of which I responded, actually, I'm not a prophet, so okay. But can I just say, looking back, it didn't come like I absolutely thought, but man, we got released from some stuff. But the danger in the release is that we're all picking it back up and carrying it back when the Lord's released us from. He's closed doors in order to open doors. He's released us from in order to release us into. So don't go back to what was. Walk in what is. And so I'm nervous to say some things here. I'm standing on the same stage pretty much the same time. And I'm not, I'm not superstitious, but I'm flying back to America. And here's what I want to say. I believe that last year for many, and again, you might not identify with this because it's personal for many, but I'm, I have the privilege of leading a global team that works in over 100 nations, not just visits, church planting. We've got churches in partnership in over 100 nations, not bragging, all God. But this is real. It's not so, hey, there's a person we can identify. No, these are partnerships like this in over 100 nations. So I have the privilege of connecting with many of those guys and people and and here's what I've found, that 2023 for many people was a season of, uh, not release, a season of breakthrough. Many people saw breakthrough, had breakthrough, maybe just because 2021 was so horrible and 22 was so horrible, 23, yeah, we had some breakthrough and maybe that's it. But, but it did seem like many people in our ranks had breakthrough. Whether it be a financial thing or it was a multiplication or churches being established or planted, facilities, and I know God doesn't live in buildings, but we saw many guys through COVID and craziness buy buildings and are now established in, it's just been an incredible thing. And so the majority of the people I've talked to said, gee, 2023 was a season of breakthrough. The, the promise of God and the, 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 the provision of God. And we could say, well, 2024, also more of the promise and more of the provision. But I felt God say this, it's a season of purpose. That we actually got to keep laying down the provision and the promise if we're going to keep walking in the purpose of God. You can. Can I be bold enough this morning to say that all of us are walking in stuff God gave us. There's nothing we deserve and nothing we earn. But in saying that, because we want to be faithful with what He's given us, at times the provision we carry is getting in the way of what He's called us to do. I believe what He's asking of us to lay down the provision and the promise in order to keep walking in the purpose. Am I making any sense? Isaac was God's promise to Abraham. And God said to Abraham, take the promise and the provision. I said I would give you a child and I gave you a promised son. You tried some other tricks, it didn't work. You got another child, but it wasn't from me, so I reject that notion. Here's your promise, Isaac, the promised child, to a couple who couldn't have kids. And he said, that's the promise and that's your provision. Now take the promise and the provision and go and kill it. Put it on the altar. 
Lay it down. He said, well, hang on, you gave me this promise and provision. And the Lord said, lay it down. The Lord didn't need Abraham to lay it down. He needed Abraham to lay it down, not for God, but for, I think, Isaac as well, to see that actually my father simply responded, laid me on the altar, but God made a way for me to have faith in God for the provision that he's called us to in the future. Am I making sense, friends? I'm not asking you to, I'm saying the way to be faithful with what God's given you is to keep laying it down in order to keep walking in the purpose that God has. But I want to suggest this season requires strategy and strategic thinking, not cleverness, not ideas from what worked before, but purposeful in everything we do should be intentional and purposeful. It's not that we have it all lined out. It's simply going back to what God's doing, connecting with what He's doing, but being purposeful. Kingdom purpose. If everything can be shaken except the kingdom, how many of you know, then let's get on with the kingdom and stop playing games with all this other stuff. And what happened through the season is everything got shaken and only that which stood is the kingdom. So why go back to anything else but the kingdom? So kingdom purpose, be purposeful. Ask why, questions why. Not to question yourself, but to be purposeful as the people of God, friends. I wanna just remind you that God's word reveals God's purpose. Oh, we know that, do we? We're running to and fro to hear the prophets and the conferences to tell us what God's saying when you just must first and foremost read the word of God. They should be confirming and prophesying what the Bible says, not what they think. I'm not telling you what I think this morning. I'm telling you what the Bible says. That's all I have for you and that should be all we want from anyone. And many of us, if I can be honest, and again, I'm using my country where I live right now, is that they use the Word of God as a bunch of random promises. The church goers claim so many promises from Scripture. I mean, you can buy alarm clocks in my country of some of your greatest preachers as you wake up to the promises of God. They will, instead of, eh, eh, you know, wakes you up, they'll be, the Lord loves you and the Lord bless you and keep you. And, and there's nothing wrong, but, but can I just tell you that the Word of God is not a bunch of random promises. And we've made it. I can claim this. I can. Pro- you know what the Word of God is? The Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is actually the purpose of God, the will of God. And we can't claim the promises of God if we're not walking in the purposes of God. Now, you probably won't hear that from many preachers, but I just dare believe the Bible and say, honestly, I don't have the right to claim His promise if I'm not walking in His purpose. They linked. So actually, the Word of God reveals the will of God, the purpose of God. And it's not as what is God's will for me, it's what is God's will, and how do I fit into His will? If you lead a local church this morning, the good news for you is you don't have to find out what God's will is for you. Your job is to find out the will of God and put your church in God's Word and say, how do we fit into what God's doing rather than how does God fit into what we're doing? It's so wonderful for me as the leader of NCMI. I don't have to come up with the next thing. I just got to keep saying your will and how do we fit into that rather than God fit into what we're trying to get done here for you. We're prophetic. Don't forget, we're a prophetic people. I want to keep saying what we believe about our future determines how we live and how we lead in the present. We've got to stay prophetic. We've we got to leave behind some stuff to keep walking in the next. It's not just what is God doing. What has God left so we can leave and move into the more of what God has? 
can't go back. There's no going back. It's going in and forward. And let's be a people. There is no future in our past. And can I just say, we're also pioneering. We are pioneers. We must keep pioneering. We got to keep taking ground physically and spiritually. We're not holding ground. We're not holding tight. We're not holding on for the return of Jesus. We are on a mission to advance, to pioneer, to take ground, to occupy, and to possess. That's what God sees His church doing. And crazy seasons like we've been through will cause us to relook and to ask questions. But I've also watched people shrink back and become limited. And, and the devil's strategy for the church is limit us, get us limited. But God's saying, I'm shaking it up. Change broken. All this stuff already been said this morning. Friend, we must adjust to what God's called us to. J.D. Greer said the difference between first generation and second generation. First generation does whatever it takes. Second generation does only what I'm asked to do. First generation assumes personal responsibility. Second generation assumes someone else will do it. First generation expects personal sacrifice. Second generation expects personal comfort. First generation sees problems and seeks solutions. Second generation sees problems and complains. First generation sees possibilities and dreams about what could be. Second generation sees barriers and reasons to quit. First generation hears the voice of, the word of God firsthand and owns the vision. Second generation inherits the vision secondhand and questions every decision. First generation steps out with bold and reckless trust in God. Second generation sits satisfied in the stability of the institution. First generation fears holding anything back from God. Second generation fears commitment. First generation feels privileged to be part of the movement. Second generation feels entitled to the benefits of the institution. Now, I'm not sitting here saying, you young, that means you're second generation. I believe we've gone beyond second generation. We're into third and fourth generation. And I'm not asking you to question what generation you are. But what I am saying, whether you're first generation or third or 15th generation, we all need a first generation mentality. Otherwise, we won't take ground and possess. And so for me, I had the privilege of leading something that was established and set up before me with generation. I think we second, third generation. And so I'm challenging myself reading that again. I can, like you, just enjoy the benefits of what we're part of. But God's called us to pioneer, to occupy, to take ground, not hold on and wait for the return of Jesus. So what you're walking in, thank God for and praise God for those who've gone before us. But we've got to keep pioneering, friends. And this is not flesh. This is the Lord challenging His people. This is us rising up as the people of God saying, doesn't matter. Let's keep the first generation mentality. Let's not compare generations. Let's be first men. What a privilege to serve and pioneer and be followers of Jesus in a time and a season like right now here in Victoria and in Australia. So we're going to get Matthew 16. By there, you must be there, right? I keep saying that I love Jesus and I love his church. And people say, oh, of course you do. you paid to say that. I'm actually not. I'm not paid by any of you. Just, you know, that's, I am paid. But yeah, okay, I'll get in trouble. Just move on. I didn't say that. Re, re, <laughs> but I love Jesus and I love his church. And you know what I have found? There's a lot of people who love his church but don't love Jesus. 
You cannot love Jesus and not love his church. But you can love the church and not love Jesus. But if you love Jesus, you will love his church. And I want to talk about the church this morning. You say, yeah, I know that. But friend, we need to know that because I believe there's a, there's a divide happening that's unfortunate. That there are many people, and I'm saying globally, and I live in the U.S., but I believe it's here too. That many people are so focused on mission, they reject the church. It's either your kingdom or church. And how many know that's not in Scripture, you both? We've got to value the local church again because that's what Jesus said he's building. Not because your leaders want it, because the people want it, because that's what he's building. And we've got to refocus the local church back on mission to bring value to the local church again. So I want to talk about the church, but I want to say this. I love Jesus and I love his church. And the church is not about people. Are you listening? Are you kind-hearted people who love people? It's not about people. The church is a people who are about Jesus. Very different. Not about people, it's about Jesus. If it's about people, it's always about us. If it's about Jesus, it's always about Him. And we'll reach far more people with the genuine scripture, genuine heart that God has called us to. Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. In other words, you're a good dude doing some good stuff. What about you, is what Jesus asked. Moves his question from what about them to what about you. I still think the most important question. That's what they say, what do you say? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Can I say this? We do not need others to define Jesus for us. You don't need your pastors and your leaders and your spouses and your parents to define Jesus for you. You know who we need? We need here the Holy Spirit to keep revealing Jesus to us. Jesus looked at Simon and said, it was not a man or even me that gave you that revelation, but my Father in heaven. Friends, we need that ongoing revelation from the Holy Spirit. And while we can cheer each other and preach Christ, and we should, don't rely on your pastors or your leaders or your people to give you the revelation. It's your revelation. Your walk with Jesus is your walk with Jesus. And right across this nation right now, people have been shipwrecked from, the, uh, from their walk with Jesus because they had their faith in the ministry or the church or a person or a group or something other than Christ. And we've got to remedy that. We've got to fix that. Who do you say he is? And we've got to help them to get that revelation for themselves. But God and the Holy Spirit gives us that revelation. So we don't need each other to cheerlead. We need each other to come to the one who gives you that revelation. Keep going to him to give you that revelation. Verse 18. And I bless you. And I, well, is that, yeah, okay. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? Now that you know who I am, I'll tell you who you are. And now that you know who 
You are, let me tell you about the church I'm building. And then for the first time in history, he begins to talk about the church Jesus is building. And this ain't a hold on, hang on, Jesus is coming back soon. This is a people storming the gates of hell. This is a people going forward. It's a people taking ground. The church that Jesus is building is a church that is taking ground, succeeding in all situations and all circumstances. Even through lockdowns and shutdowns and God knows what's next, Hold tight to the thing you've been called to and establish and function the way God's called you to function. His church will succeed. His church, not the church, His church. It's positioned to succeed. It has the promise to succeed. I love that I can trust His promise. I don't have to listen to other people's promises. When he promises something, he doesn't lie. And his promise is the church will succeed. He said, I will build. The gates of hell will not overcome it. That's his promise. It's a promise based on possession. My church. And process. I will build my church. I, I know that. Because I watch pastors and leaders and people get discouraged with people and the church. Note that he said, I will build. That, that, that verb tense shows continuation. The process is always a process. It's not yet finished. When Jesus said, I will build, it's continually. He is building. It's not built. So don't get discouraged when you follow it and things aren't happening like we thought it. He is in the process of building, but the church he's building will succeed because it's his and he's promised it will succeed. I'm not here to cheerlead you. I'm here to say, because I want to talk about the seven pillars of a, 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 what am I here to talk on the, I want to get this right because, uh, The seven pillars of the unstoppable church. And I'm not trying to steal your faith or I'm challenging us from the word of God. But we've got to know that God's promised us. God is building his church. Jesus said, my church, I will take ground. It's a church that will succeed. It's continually being built. We've been built here this morning. Part of equipping isn't this is how you do it. Equipping is building in us, breaking down, breaking things through, transforming us. So we move from this room, transform, not with a bunch of how-to's. It's impartation and deposit rather than here's the manual, God help you. But it's challenging us and he's fashioning us and forming us in this room. Some of us who've served in many years, some maybe recently come to salvation, some of us who lead churches, some who don't. But in this room, he's fashioning me and you and forming us and building his people and building his church continually. So don't lose hope. And the one thing I don't like, but I'm learning is that we are His mission while we're on His mission. And I'm all mission. I want to mobilize. Come on, guys, what's wrong with you? Around the same mountain? Come on, this is irritating. Why are we going around this? And I felt the Lord through this crazy time show me that He's committed to us as He works through us. And He wants us to mature and He's gonna grow us up. He doesn't do either or. Somehow we think you've gotta be mature and perfect before He can use you. Or good luck ever being used. I mean that, because some of us are saying, I'm not mature enough. You are ready for what God's called you. Get ready, stay ready. But those of you who've served him 150 years in this room, not 150, 50. You're still being matured. You're still, he's working on you. And this is what God's committed. He showed me this. I'm I'm as committed to working on you as I am to working through you. I will reach people with you while I'm working on you, and I'm not going to short-circuit working on you to reach people through you. And a great illustration we see is 
Jonah, right? Jonah had issues. The Lord had issues with Nineveh, and then the Lord said to Jonah, go and sort out Nineveh. And you know what Jonah said? Nah, I'm going somewhere else. So then God's issue with Nineveh moved to God's issue with Jonah, and God had to sort out Jonah, and then Jonah ends up going to Nineveh, and the whole city repented. I mean, that's 100% fruitful. I've never heard of that before. That's, you want revival, the whole city changed, except the dude, the servant, sat there miserable, moaning to the Lord, because he knew the Lord would do that. So the Lord's working on him while he's working through him. While he works through them, him, he still works on him. You can sit there and go, I'm not ready. You're ready. You're more than ready. And he will keep working on you while he works through you. And he's not going to short circuit either. And I wish he would because we got a job to do. But the Lord wants you to grow up, wants me to grow up and mature so his son can come back. And he's coming back for a mature bride. So while he works through you, he will keep working on you. So Round the mountain, let's go. But get it sorted out. Grow up. Let's get ready for what God has for us. But he's not picking one or the other. He's working on you while he works through you. And those of us who lead anyone, understand, have patience. For the people you're leading, because he's working on them while he works through them. Because he's doing that in your life. He can do that in the people you're leading to. We have the power to succeed. If it's his church, guess what? Then it's his responsibility for providing the resources to assure ongoing success. He has the plan to succeed. If it's planned to succeed, how many of you know? His plans and purposes prevail. They stand true. doesn't mean guaranteed for us. It means guaranteed for him, for those of us who are walking in what he's called us to. So I want to just give us a few pillars in the next few moments of the Unstoppable Church. This afternoon, come back. It's going to get way better. Um, we're going to actually have a response to some of these things. I want to talk about some of them, and then this afternoon, just a little bit of how do we respond? What are the things we can contend for? But quickly, seven pillars of the Unstoppable Church. Because I listen to people talk about the church, and we're all awesome, and we're all getting it done. But if you look at Scripture, I'm sure you can find more. I'm going to give us just seven if I have time. It's a biblical number. So we're going to have time for seven. Seven pillars of the unstoppable church. Number one, the unstoppable church's master is Jesus Christ. Now, we know that. Of course, Tyron, move on. I can't. I can't move on. That's the most important point of this church. The master is Jesus. Can I just say again? I know you know this, but hear this this morning. We are not beholden to anyone or anything else other than Jesus Christ. Are Are you listening? We are not beholden to anyone or anything or any, anything other than Jesus. Not your leaders, not NCMI, not your church, not your spouse, not your parents, not your kids. They are obviously involved in this, but we are beholden to one. Not the government. I'm not saying fight your government. I'm saying there's one we call to honor. There's one we are beholden to. He is not Lord, just a tag on. He's the master of everything. And I'm just saying, I'm watching the church become beholden to too many others. The church will be very stoppable if Jesus is not the master of it. 
Not the group, not the building, every individual. Is he truly your master? Not once I responded to him, gave my life, and now I'm doing my own thing. I've added Jesus to my life. Friend, no way. He's master. I was in a meeting, and we had finally got out of COVID. I mean, America, we weren't as locked up, but we had times where we had to shut down. And finally, we got together. Man, I'm telling you, the meeting, I mean, I love those days. You preach. You can mention Coca-Cola, and people are like, oh, that's such a great preacher. You know what I mean? They were so glad they weren't watching screens. It was such a wonderful time to be alive. I wish we could stay alive. Now they're like, when are you going to end this preach? But, but I remember being in a meeting. I mean, listen, the musicians were doing their thing, but it was Jesus-focused. It was honored. We were, they were on their knees. We were on our knees. Uh, people were bringing contributions. It was all Revelation, out of Book of Revelation, this awesome picture of where Jesus is seated on the throne and the angels, and they're all laying their crowns. And, and I'm sitting, standing again, honestly, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by what I'm hearing. This, and, and I remember saying this to the Lord, you must be so blessed because I'm so blessed. How are we making much of you? <laughs> and I felt the Lord drop Luke 6, 46. Forgive me, I know I should know every scripture, but I didn't even know there. And I went and looked at it. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I say. Now you said that to me, and I wanted to share it with them, but I didn't. But I'm sharing it with you, because we had Lord, Lord this morning. We, amen, he's master of all. But what happens when he closes those doors? That's where true master is Lord or not. Don't call me Lord if you don't do what I say. It's in the obedience that we understand who our master is. If we're honest, guys, look around. Just have an observation without even being spiritual. The church seems to be beholden to too many others other than Jesus Christ. I don't want to hurt you. I'm not hurting you. He's, he's our priority. He is your priority, my priority, no one else. He's our reason. He's our reason. You know, we don't do what we do for each other. Please hear that. I, I've watched people fall out of the race because they do what they do for each other. I do this for my elders. I go to church for my wife. I do this for my parents. I come to these meetings for the NCMI. I'm on Tyrant's team. I travel the world for Tyrant. I'm just telling you, wrong reason and you'll burn out. The only reason you do what you do is for him. Otherwise, stop doing it. He is our reason. The reason I go, the reason I travel, the reason my son leaves, the reason my son, whatever, the reason I relocate, the reason I'm here, it has to be Jesus is the reason for everything. He, the, otherwise, honestly, the things that lie ahead for the church, we're not going to walk in them, even in this nation, because it's going to come too hard, too difficult, because we're doing it for people. Like when I bring people on any team that I'm privileged to lead, I don't ask them to lay down their vision for my vision. Because what I'm saying is I'm the reason. I ask them to lay down their vision for, as I've laid down my vision, to take up his vision. It's easier to serve him than someone else. Does that make sense? And we lose our conviction when we're doing it for someone else. Deacons in this room, you're not doing anything for the elders, just so you know. And if you are, stop doing them or change your heartbeat and get back to we do it for the people, uh, not for the people. <laughs> we do it for the Lord. Pastors, you're not doing anything for the people. You're doing it all for him. People, you're not doing anything for the pastors or the deacons. We're all doing it for him. And we're not doing anything for our nation. I mean, this is most lovable nation on the planet. I love this nation. Land you and go, Lord, call me quick, please. 
I'm here, Lord, tell me just to move you. I can be here. I'm an Aussie. I'm happy. It's easy to love, but I'm telling you, it's not that nice that you'll love it if it's not for Him. He's our reason. First place. He's also our reward. And can I suggest, I think, if I can be bold enough to say, in our ranks, the reason thing, we've been, many of us have got the reason. But I've been challenged by the Lord. It's not just the reason, He's also the reward. And I'm challenged by that. I get reason. He's been given first place in everything. He is the reason I do what I do. I get that. But I felt the Lord challenged me, but you forgot I'm not only the reason, I'm the reward. Like, more of Him, not just more from Him. Not more for Him, more of Him. Now, this isn't sloppy Christianity. This is walking with Jesus. This isn't for the women in this room. This is for every believer in this room. The good news for you is you don't get more stuff. You don't get more nations. You don't get more people, more cities, more people, more influence, more anointing. Those are byproducts. You know what you get when you pursue Jesus? Listen, you get more Jesus. It would seem the church in the book of uh, Revelation, the seven churches, the one church that I would love to be part of. I look at that and go, gee, that would be the base for me. And we try to plant the church in, in Denver through, out of Ephesians, uh, the church, the Ephesus church, Acts 20 and Acts. We utilize a lot of what they were trying to do for us to try to do, not to model it, but there was a great picture of a great church. And I read that, and Jesus addresses that church, and you've done this well, and you've identified false apostles, and you've persevered. Man, I want a church that perseveres. I'm like, tell me I'm a perseverer through all the craziness. And he identifies a base that I'll be, that's the church I want to be a part of. You did for me all these things. I was the reason. But he said, but I have this one thing against you, the rewards. You forgot about me. You did this for me at the expense of me. He's your reward. You don't just do stuff for Him. You get more of Him. That's got to grip your heart again this morning, friend. Otherwise, we're not going to be a church that takes ground and a church that is unstoppable. When you burn out for Him at the expense of, you get to connect with Him. He's your go-to. He's your everything. He should be the everything. And I think the Global Church Foundation got exposed through this season. I think so. So many churches and ministries have been built on personalities and giftings. But I think God is birthing a whole new structure. Pattern and wineskin that'll be built on Christ and what better represents Him. I believe coming out of the season, we have connected like a lovesick bride who met with her loving bridegroom king again. And we're going to do way more for Him out of love rather than out of religion and duty. Keep growing in your revelation of Him. See, the world says delight in more things. Jesus says, delight in one thing more, me. And so many are trying to shine their lights publicly, but they don't burn for Jesus privately. You need to come back to that. I need to come back to that. He's your reward. He's your reason. And we need to keep growing in our revelation of Him, the unstoppable church. Secondly, the unstoppable church message is the gospel of the kingdom. Now, please hear that. 
I know that there's many of you in this room who are outreach driven. I'm so stoked because it's outward focus, the kingdom. But I want to just challenge us a little this morning. Please don't get offended. Read the Bible. And I want to just say that our message is not to come to church and hear our preacher preach. Are you, are you there? It's somehow we think they can only come into this building if this is your church. So I'll go on the streets, invite people to come on Sunday to hear the Word of God. Now, pray, hopefully, whoever's preaching will preach the Word of God. It's not guarantees. I mean, in this church there is, but every other church. <laughs> I'm hoping that someone will even have the privilege of hearing about Jesus and hope that's not a guarantee either. And so we think we've done our biblical duty by inviting people to the family time. How about we invite them into the family first? Biblically, they should get saved on the streets and we bring them to the family on the Sunday on the weekend. But somehow we say it all goes down here and we hope it goes down. We wonder why Victoria is the same. We all had Taylor Swift conference. Okay, I'll move on there. Tay-Tay. All right, I'm just, sorry. You know, I flew in here from Adelaide with Nicole and I and the ladies... Is this home? The air is stairs? And I was like, well, no, I live in America. So you came here from America to watch Taylor Swift? <laughs> I'm like, I, I live there. She's there. We're trying to get away. Why is she here? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, I just offended half of you if I haven't yet. But I said, ma'am, I would not come to Melbourne to... Yeah, anyway, she said, well, half this aeroplanes can... Oh, Swifties. I'm like, well, I'm happy for Swifties. Um, anyway, so we're here, not for Taylor, we're here for you, but, uh, or for him, remember? For him. All right, I don't know why I said that. Our message, our message is the gospel of the kingdom. If you're sharing something else, you're not sharing the message. And that church is very stoppable. We've seen the church stop. See, what we win people with is what we win people to. Matthew 24, 14, gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end comes. That's not the mission. That's a promise of what must happen before Jesus comes back. John Stott, I know quoting people gets me in trouble, but he said all around us, we see the church relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it and in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. That was many years ago he said that. I want to say even so more now. We are fumbling the gospel. We're dropping it. We're losing it. They're not hearing it. Someone who said preach the gospel at all times and if necessary you use words is wrong. Now I understand why they say that because we're to live the gospel, but you've got to declare the gospel. It's a good news message. You can't live it and hope they ask you one day, gee, why are you so happy today? I understand, we, but that's not biblically right. We're called to declare the gospel. Good news needs to be told, not hopefully caught from someone who seems happy today. I'm not mocking, friends. It's, it's kind of like saying, hey, let's go feed the poor, this, the hungry this afternoon. And if necessary, let's give them some food. Hungry people need food. Dead people need life. They need the good news of the gospel declared, preached. Not look at me, look at him. He did this for you. Not, hey, you can be more like me. Preach the gospel. I want to say this gospel is meant to be gossiped. 
And the gospel is not good advice to be obeyed. It's good news to be believed. It's not speculation. It's fact. It is truth because it is the record of a person who is the truth. So let me just remind you, it's a distinct message that we carry, different to any other. The aim of the gospel is not to get people into heaven. The aim of the gospel is to get people to return to God. Are you with me? It's not just, hey, more people in heaven, thank God. No, no, we're here to connect with our maker. We're trying to get people back connected to the one who created them. We know that every other religion relies upon performance for salvation. But the gospel centers upon a person, not us, him, for salvation. Other messages tell people what they must do to be saved. The gospel tells men what has been done for them to be saved. George Whitefield said, others may preach the gospel better than I do, but no one can preach a better gospel. Now, this is where I want to step on your toes. Your testimony is not the gospel. Now, I'm all for teaching people how to share their testimony because what you can't talk about something that hasn't happened. But can I suggest it like this? Your testimony is the fruit of the gospel. Don't just present the fruit without the knowing of what actually needs to happen first. You know, we talk about that whole, we used to use in the early days, like tell someone to put on a, a, life, a, a parachute. Well, it's, parachute gets heavy if you don't know why you're wearing a parachute. If you tell people this airplane's about to crash, they'll put, a, they'll put it on and they'll hang around. But we say, hey, just put on this parachute and life will get better for you. Just tell them what's going to happen and they'll put the parachute on because, gee, it's going to save their lives. Am I making sense, friends? So I, I'm not, I just, we all teach each other how to give testimony and we should. And I use my testimony everywhere I go. But I want to say that's not the gospel being preached. And so we wonder why people are falling away. It's because they're going on our testimony rather than their own revelation of what the gospel is. So there are many scriptures and references we can use, but, but what is the true gospel? Romans 5 answers three questions that can use as a framework to help us grasp the true gospel. Let me just read it quickly. I'll just hit it quickly. Therefore, verse 1 of Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. In verse 8, he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? So can I just highlight three things here? Saved from what? The wrath of God. That's the gospel. Saved from the wrath of God. Of God, There is no gospel apart from the wrath of God and His righteous judgment against sinners, according to First 9. This is uncomfortable reality that no one wants to talk about, but we need to talk about it, because what do they know if they're going to get saved from? I'm so glad someone sat me down and gave me this truth. It's held me for many years through many things, not because I'm awesome, because I heard the real gospel and said, I don't want to go that. I don't want that stuff. I want the reality. But we tag it on and play it and I'm not sure you're ready and maybe just look at my life and hope. And I love our heart, but Jesus didn't seem to do that. Paul didn't seem to do that. And we wonder why people are falling away. Maybe it's because they haven't heard the bad news before the good news. 
And, and, and I'm not saying let's walk out of here saying bad, but let's preach the gospel of the kingdom and see more people saved and connected and knitted in and holding true and shining the light Jesus intended for the church that he's building. It's an uncomfortable reality, but we must hold it, hold to it, because ignoring it or belittling sin does not mean sin goes away. Jesus is the standard. Each one of us has fallen short and sinned against him. Saved from wrath. Saved by whom? Jesus Christ. Not the church, not you, not your testimony. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save. We're saved from the wrath of God by the righteous blood of Jesus, the spotless, sacrificial lamb who absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. Verse 8. See, only Jesus has the power to save desperate dead sinners from God's wrath by giving them eternal life in His name, accomplishing what we can never do without Him. It is not just God loves us, but God loves us at the cost of His Son. It's got to be presented in that way because what you value, what, what cost is more valuable? I think, can I say, with inflation, everything has gone up with price, except salvation. Still a free gift, paid in full by Jesus Christ, even as inflation keeps going up. Saved how? By grace through faith. By grace through faith. I bring nothing to the table. I come empty-handed, but Christ gladly gives himself to me. Faith is trusting that when I was dead in sin, Jesus did everything to purchase eternal life for me by his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life. And faith is trusting that Jesus did this apart from, uh, this apart from anything I've done. So by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That should be what this is about. It's not about making bad people good. It's dead people being made alive. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation, the old has passed. I, I know this is controversial, but can I just say, because I've met a lot of people now who say, well, this is how I was born. Born this way. Questioning identity. I'm not, there may be some of you in this room say, well, I was just born like this. This is how I was born. I'm born like that. I, I'm born in a man's body. I'm not getting controversial. I'm just saying, here's the good news. We all call to be born again. So however you feel you were born, the good news is we all born again. Old creation, new creation, not bad dude made good, dead dude made alive. I'm a born again. I'm born from above. Friends, I had to embrace that with all that I walked through. So does this generation and these are questioning who they are. I'm just born like that. Good news is you need to be born again, not get saved, born again. There's an answer for all solutions. And it is simple if we just come back to save from, saved by, saved into this new build, this new life that God has for us. I love that the Word of God has the answers for all. But it means born again. Someone said this, J.C. Ryle, being born again is to enter upon a new existence 
to have a new mind, a new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, new affections, new likings, new dislikings, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love to things that once hated, new hatred to things once loved, new thoughts of God and ourselves and the world and the life to come and salvation. It's not just give Jesus a go. It's everything is new. That's the salvation we need, and that's what it means to be born again. Let me just say this about baptism. <laughs> and listen, I've had the privilege of leading local churches, so I get it. So what we do is this. Now that you're saved, you need to try and kind of get baptized. So here's what we suggest. Come to our foundation classes. We'll teach you what the Bible says, and after five, six, seven, eight, ten weeks, We'll see if you want to get baptized, isn't it? And so people are like, great. They come, I'm not sure. Doesn't convince me. Nah, not interested. And we're like, oh, that's cool. When you're ready. And then you read the Bible. You go, hang on. Hang on, wait, what? You see, I'm not trying to build a theology here, but I think a lot of people haven't understood born again because they haven't been baptized. You're not saved by being baptized. You're saved by believing in the finished work of the cross. But one of the first things and very few things that he demands of us from salvation is this, go under and come out. Why is that? Well, I I believe it's because it declares my old life is gone. I'm a new creation. And it's a public demonstration of what's happened inside. Yet we get people deciding if they even want to. I've got my good jeans on. I've got my great sneakers. I'm not ready right now. I'll come back next week. And I get it. But somewhere, read the Bible, the eunuch. He gets, I mean, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, I mean, this guy gets saved and he's like, gee, I need to get baptized. The Bible says, they're like, yeah, well, you dressed in your robes and there's no pool for us. We'll go for, he's like, there's a puddle, put me under, why? Because I need to do this in my garb, in my clothes. And here's what I want to say. The longer it takes for us to decide to get baptized, the longer it will ever, will ever, it stops us from listening to Jesus. We follow Jesus on our terms. When the Bible says you follow in his terms, he demands baptism as a repent and be baptized. So if you have not been baptized this morning, with all due respect, it's time now in your sneakers, in your boots, in your We need to baptize you. It's no longer an optional extra. It's a declaration of transformation inside. I've played to the other side of when you're ready, if you're ready. I'm no longer playing because that's, I think, where many guys fall away. Not because you're saved by your baptism, because it's a public demonstration of a new creation. It's a dynamic message. It's incredible that this gospel has the power to change someone like me and you, wretched sinner. Man, friend, I was a pretty bad dude. Hard to believe I was not born like this. I was a bad dude. I mean, but the Lord took a bad dude and he, he saved me, turned me around like that. This power, this gospel, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. This gospel's good enough. It doesn't need you to make it better. It's good enough. It needs to be declared and demonstrated, shown to the people around us. But you know this gospel that can take a wretched person like me and you and turn us around. This gospel still has limits. The Bible says it cannot be believed until it's heard. It cannot be heard until it's told. And it can't be told until you take it and go. 
So like, oh, it's up to God. God's saying it's in your hands. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. Australia is more than ready for the real gospel to be preached and demonstrated. It's the whole gospel of the whole church to preach the, it's the whole yeah, business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. A.B. Simpson said, we can never, we, can, we never can thank God enough for giving us not only a whole gospel to believe, but a whole world to give it to. Charles Spurgeon said, it's not, I will not believe that you have tasted of the honey of the gospel if you can eat it all by yourself. Quickly, thirdly, I won't stay long. Thirdly, unstoppable church's mission is the whole world. Our master is Jesus Christ. Our message is the gospel of the kingdom. Thirdly, our mission is the whole world. I'm just telling you, it's not just your great city that I love your great city. It's not Victoria, it's the whole world. That's the church Jesus is building. That's the unstoppable church. And if your parish has become your world, well, friend, you're actually missing out on what God's called you to. We gotta take this to everyone. We can't lose the mission of the church because of the outrage over the madness of the world. I've watched us lose our mission because of the outrage. We're outraged by the world's doing through the COVID stuff and the vaccines and the political area. We almost just stop our mission. We've got to take this to those people who possibly hurt us. <laughs> Am I making sense? All right. Just read Revelation 5. Go read it. I dare you. I wanted to this morning. First 14 verses. It just grips in my heart of the, the heartbeat of God for all nations. And there's no one found worthy who can open those scrolls. You know it. And they're weeping. And then the Lord says, don't be, I'm here. Jesus, he's the lamb to the slaughter. He's worthy to open the scrolls. Why were they weeping? Because no one was found worthy. Why? Because there are no people on this planet who based on their, uh, their own good or their understanding will ever go to heaven. I think we still think, I've listened to guys, you know, those guys in Africa who will never hear the word of God, those in Asia, and Asia is a lot of unreached people. We've just planted a church in Japan right now, praise God, and the guys actually are going to be in, I'm going to New Zealand after this, and we're bringing five couples onto our team from Asia, and one of them's from Japan, but let me tell you about Japan, less than 1% are Christian, talk about unreached, less than 1% of Japan. So we got people relocating from America to go base there. We got a church plant happening there. It's exciting. But my point being is they're unreached people. And sometimes we think, well, God's so good. He's been so gracious to me that when push comes to shove, those people, they will get to heaven because God's a good God. And I would love to believe that too because then I could sit in my home and just dream about what God called. I'm just telling you, God's not only a good God, He's a gracious and He's a God of judgment. He, he, ju he, he cannot just put anyone in heaven. It goes against his very character. So just, just let that grip your heart again. Not feel bad. God, we got to go. We've got nations waiting. And our, our, our mission is the whole world. The whole world means the whole world. 7.8 billion people in the world, 3.3 billion unreached, apparently. That's a concern. We got a job to do. That's the church Jesus is building. Quickly, number four, I've got five, a few minutes. The unstoppable, I want to finish this. I don't have to come back here, right? I mean, not back here. I'm come, I'll be back this afternoon only. I don't know if I'll ever come back. But the unstoppable church's mandate is to make disciples. Uh, yeah, we know that. I don't know if we do. 
We get so busy with stuff. But I want to ask the question, how much of disciple making is happening? Followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. Honestly, friend, if we're involved in anything else, you're wasting your time. Your heart can be good. Your mission could be great. It's not God. Jesus gave us one mission. He said, make disciples. If we're making anything else, then we're not actually doing what we're called to. An unstoppable church understands our mandate is to make disciples. Making disciples. We've got all the scriptures in there. And I, I believe disciple making is intentional, relational, Christ-orientated activity exercised by every believer. It's not something we do in our church on a Sunday. Every believer is involved to use every opportunity, encouraging and teaching others to know, grow, and faithfully follow Jesus. That's all of our responsibility. I believe a decision may get you to heaven. A disciple gets others there. So let's go make disciples rather than just have a decision. I, I also do think that the church that values performance over discipleship will produce performers, not disciples. Can I say this? If we plant churches, we, may, we might make disciples. But if we make disciples, we will plant churches. Are you there? We plant churches all over, and at times we're like, Lord, please let there be disciple making. Maybe, maybe not. But if you make your disciples, you will plant churches, because that's what happens. The overflow of followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. Number five, quickly, the unstoppable church's momentum is the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk a little bit in this afternoon session more around that. But Hudson Taylor said this, we give too much attention to the method machinery and resources, and too little to the source of power. See, Christians have three power generation, generators, the cross, the empty tomb, and the upper room. The cross, the empty tomb, and the upper room. We've been given those power generators because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, but also the upper room. Jesus said, wait, and you will receive power. You know the text. You know the scriptures. And, and it has everything to do with ability. He's saying, you can't do this with my authority. You need my power. And we used to preach, and I used to be big on, because, uh, you know, we used to read the books on momentum's the church's best friend or leadership's best friend. I've read all those books and momentum's key. And then suddenly the whole world shut down and we lost all momentum. The whole world shut down and many churches shut down have never opened. But all of us lost some kind of momentum. We were running hard in 2020 and boom, it all stopped and every door closed. And what I realized is because you have momentum doesn't mean it's God. Just so you know, and what I realized is many churches began to say, actually, our spiritual dynamic is outstripping our, our, our momentum. I'm like, praise God, it's got to stay like that. So as things are open and we're running again, my challenge to you and me is this. Is this momentum or is this Holy Spirit? Because momentum is not our best friend. It's Holy Spirit leading us. And it's the spiritual things that should be motivating us, not the busyness and the momentum we're running with. I don't believe momentum is the church's best friend. I believe the Holy Spirit is the right friend for the church. Amen? I wish I knew that before COVID. Number six, the unstoppable church. Manual is the Word of God. Oh, we know this. No, friend, it does seem that we put aside the Word of God. 
Your manual is not Dudley Daniels or books or Stephen Thick's book or Brian Houston's book or I'm just going to name Phil Pringle's books or Tyron Daniels' books, even though I didn't write some, someone did on my behalf. All I'm trying to say is books are great, but you need the Bible. I know that. Do we? We're quoting people, not the Word. It's the Word of God. I believe pre-COVID, people were like coming to church because they were attracted to the preacher. But I want to tell you what's happened since COVID. We have access to the greatest preachers anytime we want, live or download or. So no people are coming to your church because of your preaching. They're coming to your church because the Word of God needs to be the anchor. Preaching should be an anchor in the church to help people come back to the Word. And if we're good preachers, then people aren't wild by what we're preaching. They want to go home and read the Word for themselves. Do you know God's Word? Not can you quote it. Are you living it? And do you know what it means in context? It's so essential. Psalm 119 verse 89. Your Word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Psalm 119 verse 105. Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's divine, friends. We need the Word of God preached. And I think the greatest challenge that we're finding right now is not those who directly oppose the Word of God. They, they're less of opposition. They're less dangerous. There's, a more, there's a, more of a danger in the church is those who claim to believe the Word of God, but they're ignorant to what it says. They're more dangerous than those who say, I don't believe the Word of God. And I think the church is full of people who claim to believe it because their hearts are, of course, God said it. But we don't know what it says. That's a danger. We've got to know what it says, what God was saying, and the Word of God. And lastly, the unstoppable church's modus operandi, just for the or operating method or means, is the church. Stating the obvious, but Jesus is building His church. We need to function in the church, through the church, and from the church. I meet people all over the world who are all about mission and going, but they have no context to local church. They're not interested. They haven't submitted. They haven't surrendered. And I want to just tell you, God's way is local church. Even if you've had bad experience, and I mean, you're here on Saturday, so you really are paying the price. But, but I, want to, I really do. It doesn't matter about experience. I have people, you know, in the U.S., 35,000 churches shut down in COVID that have never reopened. Why? It's not a halal. It's not a priority. Don't need. But God's way, God's method, God's operating method, God's means is the church. We function in the church, as the church, from the church, through the church. This team that I'm privileged to lead, hundreds of leaders all over the world on my team. Do you know that one of the prerequisites of being on this team is obviously recognition of gift, but also you've got to be based in a local church, accountable to a local leadership team, and you're functioning from and in a local church rather than prophesying to the world and have no connection in home. Biblical. It's in there, friends. It's, the, it's God's way. I'm based in a local church that we planted. It's not easy, just so you know. Being in the church, you started. That's another whole story, but I believe in local church. Are you there? It's not just, this is God's way. So, so just don't you use the church for your benefit or for your ministry. Recognize it's the church Jesus is building, and we need to be established and settled in the church of God, even when we let down and hurt by people. We've got to be a part of God's family. It's the means that God will not change. 
we've got to have that heartbeat. There's younger people in this, in this room. I'm just telling you, the church is not an optional extra when you're bored with life. It's the lifeline of your walk with Jesus. It's the way he made it. And we've got to highlight the value of the local church and the way it will be valued if we get back to the mission God has as the church, in the church, through the church, from the church. Every, every priest needs a hood. Every sheep needs a pen. Every brick needs a wall. Every tree needs to be planted. So I'll land with this, and I'm landing. This is it. I dream of a church. Just close your, your eyes and your books and your Bibles, and we're going to go eat. That's what we do. We eat. But I want to just read this dream. I dream, and I, it's out of the Scriptures. It's not Tyrant's dream, but... I just wrote this, and again, I'm not going to minister to people because we've got to land, hopefully after as we can. But just, just hear this. The Unstoppable Church. I dream of a church filled with God's magnificent glory. People who are obsessed with Jesus, who represent and reflect Him in all we say and do. People who are focused on Christ through all the chaos. Faithful to His call through all the craziness. Our attenders are adventurers, not attenders. Our leaders are releasers, not containers. They're equippers, not superstars. Our youth are leaders, strong in word, purity and deed. Our attitude is kingdom, not self-preservation or self-promotion. Our heart is generous, giving everything, even when it hurts. Preferring others beyond ourselves. Our worship is passionate and filled with encounter. All our gatherings are Jesus-focused, presence-filled, powerful, purposeful, challenging, and empowering. We're a people filled with miracles, signs, wonders, healings, deliverance, and joy. Our prayers are fervent, not apathetic. Effective and authoritative, not empty and self-consumed. Our influence transforms everything. We innovate with fresh ideas and strategies that transform the world. We lead, we do not follow. We amplify the message of the gospel by demonstration and declaration. Our parish is the whole world. We united under Christ and His great call. We clarify Christ's call to make disciples. We're committed to completing the Great Commission. We exemplify the unmatched love of God. We are clean and clear in a world of moral filth and confusion. And we are gracious to the hurting and the sin-bound. And everything we touch is made clean. Our master is Jesus. Our message is the gospel. Our mandate is making disciples. Our mission is the whole world. Our manual is God's Word. And our momentum is the Holy Spirit. And we are loving Him with our yes and our obedience. And we are readying ourselves for His return. This is the church that I dream of. This is the church that Jesus is building. This is the church He's establishing in this time and in this season. And to have that church, we got to be that church. And so, Father, I just pray right now for every one of us in this room. 
faith would be stirred, not by a preacher, but by you, Jesus Christ, the perfecter and author of our faith. Holy Spirit, would you reveal more of Jesus and would you empower us? Would you help us adjust? Would we be that unstoppable church? Would we be the church that you are building and would we see what you want us to see and be what you've called us to be? I just pray that you break shackles even now. You said that people are in bondage. Well then, Lord, it's in you who sets people free. It's for freedom you have set us free. I pray, Lord, that you would just so convince us that we would adjust, not we know this, we're going to live this, we're going to be this. We're going to see what you see and do what you said. So we surrender this morning. We surrender your presence in us. And we obey your presence through us. In us and through us. As we give you all the praise. Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.